Hi, I'm John Bailey. Uh, I'm a cinematographer and director, and you're listening to the Cinematography Podcast. The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft, and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hey, it is Cinematography Podcast time. Woohoo! <laughs> best best first sentence ever. Hey, I'm Ben Rock. I'm Ilya Friedman. Hey, Ilya, who's our who's on the show today? Uh, on the show today is cinematographer John Bailey, ASC. That is awesome. That's right. He has an incredible career, and uh, in our interview, we get to talk about uh, just a few sort of uh, hits of things that he's done, and it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. I can't and there's wait. a tie into when the episode is dropping. That's right, right because of course, and uh, John Bailey shot. Groundhog Day, of course, with Bill Murray way, way back when. That classic movie. One of, the, one of the few perfect movies that I, if I were to make a list of perfect movies, uh, it would certainly be in my top 10. It's certainly a movie that I've seen a lot of times. Uh, I remember it was very, very influential in 2002 when it came out. And uh, there's a whole lot of movies that have used sort of the uh, technique that was crafted of someone repeating a, yeah. a moment or a day or a thing over and over again. And uh, it is famously one of those movies where like uh the director and the star weren't necessarily getting along but uh the end result is incredible yeah immortal brilliant great holds up perfectly today even well uh let's get to the interview let's get to the interview with john bailey here is john bailey the cinematography podcast interview my guest today on the podcast is John Bailey, and uh, he's got an incredible filmography. And if you go to IMDb, you'll see 84 credits come up as uh, director of photography. And I'm just going to uh, very quickly skip through this uh, in- incredible, incredible career and name a few things here like American Gigolo, Ordinary People, Big Chill, Pope of Greenwich Village, Silverado, Swimming to Cambodia, As Good as It Gets, Anniversary Party, The Producers, and movies like The Way, Way Back and A Walk in the Woods. Um, I have to ask you how do you choose your projects how 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 do you you've got so many what what speaks to you uh the script the people who are putting it together Mm -hmm. what's your what's your process well despite uh the admonition of my uh, my good friend cinematographer chris doyle who feels that screenplays are not that important (laughs) (laughs) i that's that's the point of departure for both me and for carol obviously Mm -hmm. and i have to say even going back to the time when i was an assistant and certainly the time that i was an operator uh, my entry point and my point of deciding whether or not to be involved in a picture was always a screenplay. I mean, sometimes, of course, you, you know, you consider very carefully the director, but in so many films that I've photographed, I've worked with many first-time directors, so you can't look at the, 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 uh, the, the body of work of a first-time director. So what else do you have? You have the screenplay. And a lot of these cases, uh, the screenplay was written by this director. So it's kind of a leap of faith, but I mean, it begins with the screenplay, certainly, certainly. In the world of American feature films, dramatic films, it is a screenplay. It's always been a screenplay ever since the silent era. 
And, you know, Hollywood screenwriters have demonized a lot. They've been abused, at least in their own minds, by the studios, the producers, the directors, and everybody, you know. And they have sometimes a very justifiable chip on their shoulder about it. But they do create the initial piece of work. And, I mean, admittedly, uh, as other people come into it, especially the director and certainly in the American structure, actors... Uh, and there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of changes that go before you know you finally go into production. But it is a screenplay, and you know, ordinary people is a case in point. It was uh, uh, written by Alvin Sargent. He won an Academy Award for the screenplay uh, from a novel by Judith Guest, and the novel's a wonderful uh, novel. But it really is not of the same level of intensity and of dramatic focus and just shorthanded empathy and drama that Alvin created uh, in the screenplay. But he worked on the screenplay for Ordinary People for uh, several years with uh, Robert Redford. You know, so it was carefully uh, crafted, structured, and, you know, framed by the input of the director all the way through. John, going through your your uh, list of movies here, there is one that jumps out at me because uh, it has become an enduring classic that uh, I see nearly every year and is definitely on television every single year, uh, usually on on multiple services, uh, and that's Groundhog Day. I'm wondering if uh, while you were making the 1993 uh, film uh, starring Bill Murray, that you knew that this was going to be something that was going to uh, last the ages, that, that people were going to watch over and over and over again. And, and, how, and if so, how do you know those things? How, how can you tell when, when you're in production what's going to become what? Well, you know, as William Goldman said, nobody knows nothing, you know, certainly about cinema. I mean, it's true, I think, in all the arts, but certainly in filmmaking because the variables are just so unpredictable. The, the medium itself is so... A plastic, you know, ask any editor. Uh, and so you don't really know, but... You might be married to one of those. <laughs> yeah, I might be married to one. You know, we've done like 12 films together at least. But in the case of the script for Groundhog Day, I found it very interesting and incredibly offbeat, and I loved the premise of it. But I don't think that Bill Murray or uh, Harold Ramis, the director, mm-hmm. or certainly I... Even the screenwriter, I think, uh, none of us had any idea that it was going to become, uh, uh, you know, a part of the canon. To the extent that uh, the American Psychiatric Association created a, a few years after the fact a syndrome that they call Groundhog Day syndrome for people that seem stuck in time. Wow, you I know? had no idea. And yeah, no, it's a, it's an official category. We didn't know. We had no idea. To this day, I am still. When people come up and they tell me, you know, just how, you know, how much they love that film, I'm still always surprised. I didn't feel that way about ordinary people. I mean, ordinary people really cut to the quick for me. Mm. Carol and I have both always been attracted by uh, screenplays and films that deal with, you know, crisis in a family. And ordinary people, I knew as we were making it that it was going to be a very special, extraordinary film. What I didn't know was that it would become, uh, what can I say, It, it, it would become a reference not just for the generation of young people it was made but for every subsequent one 
And as much as people love Groundhog Day, young people, when they come to me and they say, and they, they reference that film, they say that was a film that they saw at a time in their life when they were in crisis or were having some kind of transitional identity issue, and that film spoke to them. And that is the one film, more than Groundhog Day, more than any others, that is kind of timeless, I think. Uh, I agree completely. And um, uh, there's there's been a lot of uh, ink spilled, as they say, uh, writing about Groundhog Day and just its influence. And I know that there's been uh, several books written about Bill Murray recently and documentaries and stuff. And mm -hmm. Groundhog Day becomes the thing that is... Uh, I mean, he's got an incredible career, and that seems to be the thing that might be defining it now for generation upon generation, because mm -hmm. I think it's just um, ubiquitous in our society. And so many movies have um, copied the format. They really have. There's several movies that have done mm -hmm. this. Like, no no one had really done it before Groundhog Day. Is there, uh, I mean, there's a, some other stuff I'd, I'd love to talk to uh, talk about, but do you have any particular memory or story from the production of that movie that uh, that is, is worth sharing now? Well, you know, there, <laughs> it, it, it had its own chaos, you know. And, uh, you know, Bill and Harold Ramis had a history, of course, you know, uh, through other movies. Uh, but that didn't necessarily translate into always the most uh, uh, stable relationship on set. And, you know, it was uh, at times... Uh, you know, kind of quirky. The, the Famously the, combative. The, yeah, the relationship <laughs> they had on the set. And I was always surprised because, you know, Bill is his own dynamic and everything. And uh, I, I think, I don't mean to speak for Bill Murray, God forbid, but I think even Bill, when we were making Groundhog Day, I think he had no idea, you know, what it was going to become. I think he was very ambivalent, very conflicted. And, you know, that was often the atmosphere on the set. You're doing an awful lot of work with the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that you've been uh, heavily involved there for a long time and uh, been in the executive leadership. Um, I know you that you have a, uh, a preference or I should say maybe a fondness for, um, for international fare as well. So international films. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about your your uh, involvement with the Academy and what you're doing today? Well, it's easy to tell you what I'm doing today, which is nothing. Oh. <laughs> I'm no longer the president. I'm not an officer at all. I'm not even on the Board of Governors. I'm just one of like almost 9,000 members. And actually, I'm very relieved. I mean, the two years I was in that bubble uh, was uh, much more public than I ever anticipated it would be. Uh, it's not something I particularly uh, wanted to embrace, but I accepted, you know, I accepted that part of it as part of the responsibility. But my real love and why I wanted to be uh, president was to support the Academy Film Archive, uh, the Herrick Library, the International Cinema, the Nickel Screenwriting Programs, all of the things that represented to my mind, what the Academy was really about, you know, international membership. Uh, my feeling was and is, uh, I didn't want to worry about the Oscars so much. The studios are invested in the Oscars. The studios were going to make sure that the Oscars took care of themselves one way or another. Uh, it always kind of drove me crazy, even when I was not uh, an officer, you know, before I became president. And now, 
from my sort of removed perspective, I can kind of watch it, you know, almost as sort of, um, uh, you know, a laboratory experiment, wondering what the hell is going to happen this year, you know. It's a very movable feast. And the one thing I found very interesting about it from the inside for those several years is that everybody seems to have an idea and they think their idea is best about what the Academy Award should be. And the absolute inanity coupled with sort of the hubris that comes with it sometimes, especially on the part of certain trade and media critics, it it just um, really kind of bothered me for that whole Oscar season, day after day, looking at newspapers, entertainment sections, or the trades, having to read the drivel by some of these journalists that said, you know, they knew how to fix the Oscars. Fortunately, I don't have to deal with that now. But do I have correct that you're, you're involved in, the, uh, in one of the committees to help select uh, foreign, foreign films for the Academy and for the, the Oscars? Mm-hmm. Carol and I, Carol is still a governor. She's a governor uh, in the editors, film editors branch. Uh, We have been for years on the executive committee for what used to be called the Foreign Language Film Award, which is now the International Feature Award. That's very meaningful for me because my heart and my soul, uh, as much as I love American cinema, especially classic American cinema, my heart and my soul is with international films. And uh, I just uh, look forward every year for that uh, period between the middle of October and the middle of December when night after night we get a chance to see double bills of these great, not always great, but always very interesting international films. And this year I think there are 94 countries that submitted that, that's fantastic. Uh, in, in years past, uh, are there any movies that you can name off the top of your head that you were delighted to discover, which then either uh, went on to do something wonderful or it faded into obscurity? Well, one of the ones that uh, I have been absolutely consumed with, uh, and it was about five or six years ago, was Bellatar's last film, The Turin Horse, which has 30 shots. It's two and a half hours long average running time of five minutes per shot and one of those shots only lasts about five seconds Uh, it's a film that I still love dearly to this day I fought very hard for it to make the short list almost to the point where people weren't talking about me anymore (laughs) I was so insistent but the one film that I remember and this goes way back I think it was to 1997 that when I saw it, just like when I first saw Conformist, and I wasn't even in the Academy or at the time, but when I first saw The Conformist, I saw it three times in one day, and it was the film that made me decide I wanted to be a cinematographer. But in 1997, the official entry from the Netherlands was a film by Mike Van Diem called Character. I just, again, it was a family drama about a, a young man He's illegitimate. His father is a tax collector in Rotterdam. It takes place during the the 20s, and his father refuses to recognize him as his son. It is like The Conformist. It's made with an incredible sense of film mastery, film aesthetics, but it is a most powerful, primal drama between father and son. 
the film not only made the shortlist, not only was nominated, but it won the Academy Award as Best Foreign Language Film that year. And of all the films I can think of that uh, in that category that have won the Oscar in the time that I've been in the Academy, that movie character continues to stick with me. John, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, this is this is really a, a, a wonderful conversation, and uh, I hope that we can have you back again sometime. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. All right, so that was John Bailey. Thank you so much for being on the show, John. We'll definitely have to find a time to have you back and talk about all kinds of other stuff. Sit you down in the hot seat, in the hot seat that I'm currently sitting in. It's, it's actually not hot at all. It's and heated. Now, now, that you've, now that you've experienced it, you know exactly what you're in for. It's, it's, it's heated. So, Ilya, who do we need to thank for this week's fine episode? Nobody. What we need to do, and we forgot to, is tell people where they can find you. Oh, uh, go to benrockonline.com. That's the best place you can ever find me, and you'll find all of my socials there. Anyway, so yeah, go to Ben Rock Online. You'll find my uh, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and what, Instagram, you name it. Uh, you Vimeo. Could, you could find me on the Instagram at Ilya Friedman. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ilya Friedman. But of course, the easiest place to probably find me, uh, at least Monday through Friday, is at Hot Rod Cameras. All right, Ben. Now let, let's let's thank some people. Let's thank uh, Alana Cody. Alana Cody, without whom we would not be uh, uh, as prolific, nearly as prolific as we are. We're getting some amazing interviews. We have some amazing shows coming oh up. Oh my God. You think it's been good so far? You you ain't seen nothing yet. We got so much good stuff coming up. I can't uh, wait. So, yeah, and that is all on Alana for busting her ass and uh, getting us out there. We also want to thank uh, Kay's Alatrachi. Kay's maybe listening. There's some, some percentage chance that he's uh, yeah. checking this out. I'm going to say 4% this time. He, he created all the music that you uh, heard in, uh, in in the entire episode. Um, and then lastly, we want to thank uh, Ben Katz, our editor. Anyway, well, thanks again, Ben. And uh, thank you for listening to us. And we will see you on the next episode of the Cinematography podcast next week next week this has been the cinematography podcast presented by hot rod cameras find your next camera lens or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com don't forget to subscribe to our show on itunes and connect with us on facebook and twitter thanks for listening